Take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to do a little continuation of where we were at. So it's Mark chapter 1. Um, it's sequentially where we left off last week. Now, just to let you know up front, I probably won't get through with this one today. We'll probably have to finish it, Lord willing, next Sunday. But I want us to, to start with this one today. And it's a very burdensome type sermon. It's a sermon that some people want to get up and, and scream about and some people want to run from. But it's talking about how to deal with the demonic here on earth. I know it's not a popular uh, topic, but as I was reading through what we did last week about being Jesus calling his fishers of men, it behooves us to know who we're actually up against. Okay, so we're going to start with verse 21 and just read this encounter. Now the context of this is, if you read the Gospel of Mark, we're still in the first chapter. Mark is, is like I've said before, is sort of like a, a, almost a Twitter account in the Gospels. It's got short stories in it. In other words, when you talk about what happened to Jesus in the wilderness after he was baptized by John the Baptist, all that has happened before verse 14. Actually, the, the part of Jesus going to the wilderness was only one verse, I think 13. It's only one verse. But if you go over to Matthew and Luke chapter 4, either one of those two, and start at the beginning, it's a longer account. But anyway, I hope you all know what happened then because it's going to be real imperative to what we do either today or next Sunday to wrap this up about this. So let's get started. This is Jesus' earliest ministry. Okay, he had just been baptized by John the Baptist, spent the time in the wilderness tempted by Satan, and he's in Capernaum now. And as the Bible tells us, he went to the Sabbath on the Sabbath day. Verse 21, this is Mark chapter 1. And they went into Capernaum, they being the disciples that he had called. And straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one who had authority. Not as the scribes. As they were in the synagogue, a synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, come out of him, and when he had unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. They were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits. And they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. Let's pray. Dear God, as we're here today, Lord, let us know where the battle is. Let, let us realize, let us with an open mind, Lord, shine the light 
of your word onto this dark world that we're fighting with here on earth. Lord, that we'll understand the enemy. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a dramatic episode. Jesus had been, in, again, been into the synagogue. He had just been baptized by John the Baptist. He began his public ministry. And there he was confronted with a demonic, possessed man. That's what the Bible says. Whether you really realize it or not, there is a demonic world. It is a very real world. And you dare not be misinformed or disinterested. There's no way you can avoid dealing with the demonic. At our age, think about it. We've either dealt with it in a positive way in, in rebuking or we dealt with it in a negative way falling for it. So you can't, if you've got any age, now some of you young folks may not understand what I'm saying, but, but you that are a little bit older, you understand if you've lived long enough, you have wrestled with things that make no sense. It has no rationality to it. There's no commonality to it. Some things would pop in your head just out of the clear blue sky. All kind of things would happen and I want to tell you what that actually is. So think about this. If, if you were ever, back in the day when we used to play outside, instead of if, before, you know, a long time ago, or maybe today, if you roll around and you roll over a fairly good-sized rock, you might find some wiggly, squiggly little varmints scurrying because they've just seen the light of the day, if you roll that stone over and there's some like worms and bugs and whatnot, they'll just be wiggling around and squirreling around. They're trying to hide from the light. That's sort of an example of what's happening in this verse. The light of Jesus has come into the synagogue. And this person, this man that was in the synagogue had a demonic spirit possessed him and the spirit cried out, What are you to do with me? O Holy One of God, have you come now to devour us or to annihilate us? So something very similar happens when you uncover a rock and everything that's scurrying out of the, head or out of the sunlight is because they've been exposed to the light. And I want to today for the next hopefully two Sundays expose the kingdom of darkness by the light of God's Word and then let us understand as a church that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, that we really don't. There is a confrontation going on and have been since the beginning of time with darkness and light. And this demon, that, that, that verse that, that Mark 1 talks about, is a very real demon. It was a very real possession but that demon that had possessed that man in that synagogue today was confronted with the purity of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus, and he shrieked out in terror. Terror, the Bible tells us. He cried out in terror because light had come in to that kingdom of darkness. That is our job today, to expose the kingdom of darkness. So we're going to look at it on how to deal with the demonic. First thing we want to think about is the reality. They are real. Let me show you some verses that prove that. If you just do verse 23 of where I read at in Mark 1, it says there, There was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. So there is a spiritual world. The Bible affirms it. 
there's no way, think about it, there's no way really you can take the Bible at face value and deny the demonic. Even Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says this, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's the bones, that's the marrow, that's the people, right? But against principalities, against powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Paul writes a letter to the church at Ephesus and says, Listen, folks, it's not about, it's not primarily about the, the pornographers. It's primarily not about the the rule makers or anything like that, it is the principalities and powers in high places. So there is spiritual righteousness and there is spiritual wickedness. Okay, And we are in a battle as Christians. Those that are saved are in a battle against the wickedness. Another verse, this is 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. John told us, he said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirit, whether they, be, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So we're wrestling against spiritual wickedness. You know, we would, we would be very much helped as a society in whole if everything that we saw that was spiritual, we wouldn't automatically cling to it, that we would test it. That's, that's what First John says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, because not every spirit's of God. Once you believe there is a demonic world that we deal with. So we're not wrestling against, so we are going to wrestle against spiritual wickedness, but we're not wrestling against spiritual righteousness. So the reason... Think about it. So many times we don't win that battle. If you ever wondered why, you said, you say, preacher, I've prayed about this situation that's bothering me, and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. I'm telling you, you're going about it the wrong way. If you're trying to physically make something happen, and it is a spiritual war that you're fighting, you're started on the wrong front. You need to get in a closet by yourself and you need to cry out before a holy God on account of it because he's the one that fights the battles. Think about it. You say, well, preacher, what is it? I believe, and the Bible pretty well is, is assured of this, that they're fallen angels is what they are. The demons are fallen angels. If you read in the book of Re the Revelation, if you go to chapter 12, and you read about verse 4 in chapter 12, it's talking about the great dragon. That's Lucifer. If you read around all that, you'll know that the Bible says that's Lucifer. It'll talk about the great dragon. In Revelation 12, chapter 4, it says, And his tail, talking about dra the, the, the great dragon, when he's, he come to earth, he's, it said the third part of the stars of heaven he did cast down to earth. The verse actually says, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them down to earth. Now let's pause real quick and think about this real quick. If you know anything about astrology, you know that many, many of the stars that are outside of our, that outside of planet earth are a lot bigger than planet earth, right? We know that. If you know that, just look it up. So if this actually meant that the stars in the heaven would come to planet Earth, and planet Earth ain't big enough to hold it. 
No, what it really means is the angelic created beings of God that rebelled with Satan is what this verse is referring to. It's the bright and morning stars of Satan, the bright and morning star of God, and when Lucifer, who was, his name means light bearer. That's what his name meant, light bearer. He become, when he left his, his rightful place in heaven where he should have been and he fell down to earth, he became the father of the darkness. And the Bible says, and with it he took a, a, a bunch of angel spirits, we call them demons, with him. You see all that in verse, uh, verse 4 of Revelation 12. So the great dragon, remember if you read about it, it does say it's Satan, Satan himself. So we have this battle that has ensued a long time ago. And we're, we're here on planet Earth today with everything, all the technology we have, and we tend to dismiss what happens a lot of times right before our face as being engulfed or in, inflamed or enticed by Satan himself. A couple of verses just to prove what I'm talking about. 2 Peter 2, 2 Peter the second chapter, verse 4 says, If God spared not the angels that sinned. Let me stop there. If God did not spare the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, deliver them into the chains of darkness to, to be reserved unto judgment. The Bible speaks of the same angels in, in Jude chapter 8. It says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own inhabitation, he hath reserved an everla in everlasting change under darkness unto the judgment of that great day. So the Bible affirms, and Scripture tells us, that fallen angels are real. Okay, what are some of their characteristics? Characteristics. They are invisible, they are personal, they are powerful, they have no bodies of their own, they seek to inhabit bodies of people, they want to control the minds, the bodies, and the wills of people. So why do you think, just as a side, why do you think, have you ever sort of wondered why? Have you ever, ever, or ever wondered why Satan's got such a chip on his shoulder? Well, think about it this way. Evil people have always known that if you can't hurt God, Lucifer, by the way, can't hurt God. Everybody understand that? It's not any kind of dualism. It's not that God's sitting there wiping his hand and saying, oh no, Satan's really got a good grip on you. Say, I don't know what I'm going to do. That's not it whatsoever. So in order to be able to get at God, he has to get, some, get at something God loves. What does the Bible say about God's love? John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the what? The world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So Satan knows if he can get at us, the people. And I've, I've said this a lot of times. Satan is not primarily concerned with people that he's possessed or people that he's gotten control over, because they're sort of in autopilot. They do what he wants them to do. His fight today is with the church, with Christians. And just as a side note, he's 
doing pretty good lately. He's doing really good lately. Really good. So I think we need to make sure we're aware of him and we'll find out what to do with him as well. So they got directly at God by getting at us. Think about it. It's a cosmic war. So how does it do it? Really, there's three different ways, basically, that Satan or the demons can hassle people. And the first one I want to talk about is with oppression. Oppression. The number one, oppression. You see that in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. It talks about Jesus. He says, and, and God, this is Acts chapter 10, verse 38. And God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So the word oppressed literally means something like to rule over, to have authority over, to have dominion over. You know, the devil knows how to harass you. I'll put it in the first tense. The Satan knows how to harass me. I don't know how y'all are doing with it, but he knows how to harass me. He knows how to push buttons I didn't even know I had. He can push them. Okay, that's, that's upset. That's oppression. He is trying to oppress me. Every child of God will be oppressed with the demonic forces if we don't watch it. We will constantly be fighting the demonic oppression. Demon spirits can oppress you. Make no mistake. Make no mistake. You may think that, you know, the battle with the devil is really on the front of if I just didn't sin anymore, right? Most people think if I just don't sin, then, then I'll be good. Satan won't bother me. But, but think about this. What happened right after Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist? Heavens opened up and declared, this is my son who I'm well pleased he went away into the desert and what? Was tempted by Satan. The Holy One of God, Jesus Himself, was tempted by Satan. He was oppressed by Satan. So what makes you think you're not going to skate by without being oppressed? Are you higher than Jesus? Certainly not. But we've got to, as, as a nation and as a church family, Understand where the battle is. Where the battle is. All right, so we are in a daily war with powerful spiritual wickedness that wants to oppress you, to hassle you, to degrade you in some way. The second one is through an obsession. Now, now think about it. Um, the obsession is sort of like an inside job, but the oppression is from the outside, okay? Now, if you notice, these also, they get more, they get, they get worse as I go down the list. There's only three, and I'm on number two, starting number two. They get worse. In other words, the, uh, the obsession starts getting in, starts taking some hold, okay? I, it starts with an obsession, you know people that have just an insatiable thirst for, like, sex or reading it, right? 
I'm not talking about a healthy one. I'm not talking about a healthy respect for, for how God made a man and a woman. To, I'm not talking about it. I'm talking about the unhealthy, ungodly things that go on in that realm. That is an obsession. That's different than being obsessed or being hassled by it. You start off being hassled. If you don't get that out of the way, if you don't do battle with that on the right front, that hassling, that obsession, that oppression can keep pounding on you and you may wind up with an obsession. doesn't necessarily have to be something as dramatic as pornography. It could be money. It could be greed. It can be hatred. Obsession. Do you know people that are driven by stuff that makes no sense? They eat and breathe it. Eat, sleep, and breathe whatever it is. That's an obsession. Now, if it's unholy, that's an obsession. Let me back up with that. If you're eating and sleeping and, and you can't do nothing but read your Bible and pray and fast, and that's not an unholy, but that is an obsession, and that's a good one. But I'm talking about unholy obsessions. You can binge on the TV. That's an obsession. There's people that can't turn that TV off because they want to see what the next bad story is. They're like, they're, they're like addicted to all the sensational news that comes in. And you think, that's not natural. Why is, why is whoever sitting there and just won't get up? It's an obsession. It's an obsession. So that's the second way, an obsession. The Bible really calls obsessions vexing. But we don't really go around saying, you're vexed. Because we don't really know what that means, but it's a synopsis of the same word. And, and in Luke chapter 6, verse 18, it says, And they that were vexed with unclean spirits. Talking about people, they were bringing people to Jesus. And they that were vexed or obsessed with unclean spirits. That was, that's what that means. Again, in Acts chapter 5, verse 16 is another one. It says, Then came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them that were vexed, obsessed, with unclean spirits. So again, oppression is primarily outside. The devil would like more than to mob you, to harass you, to hassle you, and the devil has its way. He will do even more and make you into an obsession. So obsessions deals more with the mind and with the will. That's why it's progressive. Deals more also with the spirit. You see people today that are obsessed with obsessions. And I believe in my heart that more people have some form of the demonic obsession than we would really be willing to admit. Again, there's pornography, drugs, hatred, revenge, pride, greed. There's all sorts of things that's just not the top off of it, just a little bit. So do you know people that are obsessed today? Sure you do. Sure you do. Of course you do. And the very last one is a possession. Is a possession. Mark chapter 13, or Mark chapter 1 at verse 32 tells us here, even better it says, and at evening, in the same chapter of Mark 1, at, and at evening... When the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with demons 
or it says devils, but anytime you see a plural devils, just, just read demons. The way we've always heard it all of our life is there's one devil, Lucifer, and many demons, but a lot of times the, the Bible would say devils, and it could have been, but anyway, just that is a gee whiz. Most time, every time you read devils, it's, it, it works better if you just say demons. So what is a possessed person? Let's, let's lay that out. The demon spirit has actually moved in. He has taken up residence within a person's body. That demon spirit begins to occupy the place that belongs to God and the Holy Spirit by itself. See, think about this. The way we're meant to be, if you're saved, this is what's really happened. This is sort of a synopsis of what's really happened. You may not realize it, but if you're truly a child of God, this is what's happened to your life. God, the Holy Ghost, He's meant to dwell in my spirit or in yours. Man's spirit is linked with God's spirit. It gives direction to my soul. What is the soul? The soul is the mind and the emotion and the will that I have. So the Holy Spirit is linked with my spirit as Carlton, and together it controls and gives direction to my Soul. What is my soul again? The mind, my emotions, and my will. Then the mind, the emotion, and the will tell the body what to do. That's when I see something I shouldn't see, my eyes will close. Why? That's the will doing it. Saying, you don't need to see that, shut down, poof. If I hear something, I'm not supposed to be here. In other words, somebody will have... We got some students with ringtones that'll make you blush. Let me just put that out for you. And the ring, I go, I don't want to hear that. You know, and I walk away from it. I don't want to hear that. Why does that happen? It's not that I'm scared of what's being said. It's the Holy Spirit says, you don't need to listen to it. And I start walking away. I don't need to hear that. And most of them, that, and, and, and when that happens, it doesn't happen too many times when the phone comes in on vibrate afterwards. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Don't give the devil no Foothold. So the body goes out in the world, as I said, and expressed the life of the Lord Jesus. As I walk, he walks with me. That's what abiding in his will means, that as I walk, he walks with me. And the things I do, he directs me on how to act and how to react and how to do things, where I go, where I don't go. That's the Holy Spirit working in a believer. That's what happens to you as a believer. Just the opposite happens if Satan happens to be in there. If Satan happens to be in there, now Satan cannot be in a Christian. I'll get to that in a minute, just so your mind don't go there and stay. I'm talking about the unsaved. Satan can go in and move in the place that God is supposed to be, and it's not really a first come, first serve, but, but if Satan gets there first, he can get in. Anybody without Christ in their heart can be a candidate for possession. Can be. So what happens when that happens? Same thing. My will would, would clash up to Satan's will and then my life, my will, my emotions, my senses, my will, my thought, my everything will be directed by him instead of God. My decisions I make would be directed by him. And I will be a pretty bad person, pretty horrible, a lot of people. And I don't have a clue whether this is true or not, but a lot of people way smarter than me 
have always claimed that Hitler was possessed. I don't know. But he was a pretty bad guy. He was a pretty bad guy. He did some horrible things. So anyway, they're real. They're real. He can take that control of that body. It's people you can't even talk to. He might be able to come in, as the Bible tells us in this story that we're, we're listening to, when Jesus was teaching, that devil-possessed or that demon-possessed man was sitting on one of the pews. And all of a sudden, Jesus shone light into him, and he, and he got scared. He got run. That's possession. And again, if you're thinking about, can a child of God be possessed? I don't think so. Don't think so. What would have to happen? Well, we'll use me for an example. If, if me, live, the Holy Spirit living within my life, my actions, my will, my, my soul, everything about me reflects Him, then all of a sudden, the next day I'm different. What's happened? Well, in order for that to happen, two things would have to happen. One, the Holy Spirit have to leave. And two, Satan would have to come in. What does the Bible say about, what did Jesus tell his disciples and all those around him? He said, whomever the Father put in my hand, nobody takes away. To me, that's eternal security. You get saved, you're truly saved, you're truly indwelled with the Spirit, off limits to Satan for possession. But apart from Christ, sure. Sure. I think a lot of our problems is at this level with some things. I truly do. But not for a child of God. You will be oppressed, do not get me wrong. If you're not being oppressed, you might be the worse off than you think you are. But if Satan's not oppressing you, then you're not part of, you're not, you're part of his crew. You're not part of his problem. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul told the church at Ephesus a little more stuff. In verse 27, he says, don't give place to the devil. Don't allow Satan to come in and make some thought or some part of your mind dirty, and then you start having an obsession come into you. Because you can go down one and two. You can go down that. I've seen many well-to-do pastors that, I'm not going to say whether they're saved or not, but I know this, they got some obsessions. I'll put it that way. And if you wonder where I get the never leave you for safe, safe you, I will never, Jesus' words wrote for the writer of Hebrews did it one time I wrote down here. It's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the believer's security, security of the believer. So I don't believe the enemy could ever dispossess God out of a believer's life and then move in. I just don't believe that can happen. I don't believe that can happen. So in conclusion, it doesn't mean that you can't do battle with the demonic. Okay? It doesn't mean you won't. You may be oppressed. Many are oppressed with the devil. The saints of God are literally harassed throughout the ages with Satan and the devil. But we that are children of God cannot be possessed. However, we do need to be aware of the demonic and the reality of demons. And if there's anyone here within the sound of my voice that does not know God as their personal Savior, I urge you, 
I implore you to seek him today. Because one day you may turn into one of these, and then heaven only knows if you'll come back from it. Heaven only knows. But it is possible, but I would not want to take the chance. So believers, question to you. Are you oppressed? Do you have any obsessions? As we close and sing, I want you to think, what was our song? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. If anyone's wishing to unite with Briar Branch, please do so. If anybody needs to do battle with Satan, no better place than to do it is up here. If your knees won't work, the pews will work. We got pew up, pew, pew, and pew. If you think you need to do battle with Satan today if over an obsession, no better way than today and no better place than here to start that up for the glory of God.